Welcome to the Workout Session Podcast. I'm your host, Lamaya Cruz. If you have ever wondered how and what someone did to successfully get to where they are now, well, this is the podcast for you. That's right. This podcast uncovers the method, the genius, the routine, the creative exercise, the unique process that each of our guests developed that has shaped them into who they are today. And on this episode, we have special guest, Jordan Dawkins. Jordan Dawkins infuses his unique multi-hyphenate background as a singer, songwriter, and model into a self-taught and resilient pathway. Dawkins' artistry is influenced to a great extent by his Barbadian heritage and upbringing. Through aligning his sights and analyzing his trajectory, he is determined for the stratosphere of success. Jordan is a dear friend of mine, and it was such a pleasure to catch up with him and to learn more about his process when it comes to developing his identity as an independent artist and self-distribution. I really hope you enjoy our session together. And before we get into the episode, don't forget to subscribe to our show. Please share, leave a review, and tell us what you think by tagging us on our Instagram at The Workout Session. You can also watch the full interview on our YouTube channel. Thank you in advance for all your support. And what have you been up to? Well, last night I actually just had a performance, which was a lot of fun. So that was my evening. And yeah, I hung out with some friends, performed, saw some other artists perform as well. And it was a pretty fun night out. That's amazing. And we'll yeah. definitely get into um, um, that performance and you performance performing in general. Um, but let's jump right into it. Um, you got your start in modeling when you were a teenager. And you've done campaigns for the likes of H&M and Abercrombie and & Fitch. Can you kind of talk about how you fell into that industry and um, how it's prepared you to become a recording artist and what your relationship with modeling is currently? I know it's a, it's a triple question. So No, it's okay. So... <laughs> Um, my career with modeling got started when I was in high school. I had some friends who were into photography and at the time for one of their class projects, I think they needed a model to, you know, fulfill one of their assignments. And a friend of mine asked me to model for them. So that innocent, seemingly random moment was kind of the inception of me ever being behind a lens in a more serious setting, you know, um, aside from my mom taking like cute photos of me at the park, you know, like that was the first like real, like intentional, Hey, you know, let's try to make something worthwhile under the guise of what modeling is. So that was my first experience when I was about 16, I want to say. And you said, how did the modeling industry prepare me, excuse me, prepare me for music artistry? Mm, I would say it prepared me in the sense of having to be more mindful of like the spaces I'm in because modeling was kind of the first real entertainment industry profession I'd ever been involved in. And although music was my first passion, modeling was the first passion that I got to be enthralled in. So it kind of set the stage and the tone for what the entertainment industry would be like to come. And what was the third question? 
And the third question is, what is your relationship with modeling currently? Are you still doing modeling now? <clears throat> I am still modeling now. However, I've kind of just taken some time to reconfigure my approach because I live in Indianapolis, Indiana currently, which is the Midwest, for those of you who may not be aware. And the Midwest is not as up and coming or established as obviously other cities like New York or LA or Chicago. So because I take my career really seriously, I've had to kind of restructure my approach because everyone's approach is different. And especially when you live in a city with smaller access or means, your your rise or ascension may not be, you know, as easily tangible as if you lived in a different city. So living in Indiana has really kind of caused me to think extremely strategically in terms of how to move forward in the industry that I am in. Yeah, that makes total sense. And how did you get your start with music? And what were some of your earliest encounters with developing your musical identity? Mm, well, I remember the first time I ever fell in love with music was when I heard Dance With My Father Again by Luther Vandross. That song came on one night when I was in the car. I had to have been like six or seven, maybe, I think. And that song just really captivated me. Like, it was such a beautiful song. And I just remember being like so invigorated with passion from that song. You know, like it really just turned a light bulb on in my brain. And that moment distinctly, um, you know, really throws me back to my first love of music and kind of the passion and feeling that music has brought into my life. So I would say that was like the first moment where I really felt a deep attachment to music was with that one, you know, that one beautiful song that happened to really touch my heart in a very special way. <clears throat> Excuse me. And outside of me kind of first identifying, hey, whatever this is, is like really beautiful and I love it so deeply. I've always loved music. I've always loved to sing. I've always loved music on TV, music in the car. I've always just been attracted to music in different facets. And I think my mom really took notice of that. And I'm thankful and appreciative to her that she always wanted to nurture and inspire my talents. So whether it was keeping me in choir or trying to put me in extracurriculars that aligned with my passions, <clears throat> excuse me, my mom was always, you know, trying to enable me as much as possible to, you know, stay tied to my passions. So I was in choir, I was in show choir in high school. I sang for Butler University for three years in their choral department, which is a very, an extremely rigorous regimented type of singing. It's orchest it's orchestral and choral music. So it's very like, you know, Pavarotti, uh, you know, very technical singing, classical, um, you know, like operatic styles of singing. So my mom put me in that environment when I was about 16 or 17 years old. I want to say it was 15 to 17 or 18, something like that. And those years were very instrumental in kind of just laying the foundation for my musical knowledge on top of the passion that already existed there. So, and yeah. did you just go to your mom and you were like, there's this um, choir at Butler I want to join. Can I join it? Well, I think some, I think my, one of my music teachers at my school, one of my choir teachers happened to know of it and was like, you should audition for this thing. And I was like, okay, you know, so my mom took me to the Butler audition and I auditioned for 
a young lady by the name of Miss Cheryl West, who unfortunately passed shortly after meeting her, but she was a phenomenal and incredible person and um, conductor. And I got to meet her and audition for her and she loved me and she welcomed me into her home and her team and her entourage of other, you know, soon to be molded young talents, young musicians, young vocalists, uh, things of that nature. So yeah, I got to meet her, it was an incredible experience and I'm thankful that she brought me into that community. Unfortunately, before she passed, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to meet her and to have experienced some of her magic, you know, while she was still a part of the team. So, yeah. Absolutely. And it's always nice to have somebody that really believes in what you're doing and that can root for you um, behind the scenes and, of course, in front of the scenes as well. So that's great that you had that person that um, brought you in and um, helped mentor you in some capacity but do you remember your for first performance and or rather do you remember the first time you performed in front of people and what that response was hmm. <clears throat> i'm trying to think the first time i ever performed in front of people i feel like i've been in front of people so many times in my life at this moment at this time it's just all like which time unfortunately i don't have a specific memory of the first time but i remember i sang at a talent show once when I was in sixth grade. And honestly, I don't really remember. Like, I just remember being on stage, but I really don't remember the 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 crowd's reception or anything. I kind of just, when I get on stage, I'm the type of person where I either have to black out or <laughs> I won't do a good job. So it's like, I cannot be present when I'm in front of people, you know? I'll be too present, so I have to like, detach my mind from being around other people in order to get the job done so there's <laughs> no really in between it. it's either one or the other right yeah 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 and i actually learned that last night because one thing that and i know we're gonna get into like more performing but one thing that i've learned about myself is i'm so passionate that sometimes it's hard for me to perform without giving all my passion so it's like if i'm nervous or like you know being around people can be kind of intimidating so if you let that get to you, you know, it can kind of stop me from getting into the mode I need to be in. So even as a person who has been doing this for a good little minute, I'm still finding out, you know, new tidbits about myself and, you know, having to recant and reflect on the ways I interact with my passions to be most successful. Yeah. And who were some of your major influences then and now, and that kind of help you with um, where you are as an artist? right now you know i have to say miss cheryl west was a phenomenal light to look toward just because she was again an incredible person and as a choral instructor she really made the studies of what being a good technical vocalist is supposed to be engaging and intriguing and inspiring and fun and magical so she really bridged the gap between singing for fun and being a technical musician, she really, you know, she she really melted those two together for me in such a bomb way. And it's such a testament to who she was, because even after she passed, the values she instilled within IYC, which is the Indianapolis Youth Chorale, that's the uh, corporation I was a part of singing for Butler. She really instilled such deep values within that community that even after she passed away, 
the community still honored her legacy and I was able to still reap the benefits of the, you know, of the work that she laid down. So I have to list her as one of my inspirations because even though we had such a short amount of time together, I can tell from when I met her, but also by how people, you know, kept her name alive that she really was the person I believed her to be, you know? So I have such a deep attachment to her because, you know, she really was so instrumental despite me only having such a short amount of time with her. She really did more than I think she even intended to do. So, you know, <laughs> shout out to you, Miss West. Well, I'm sure you're making her proud right now by just doing your passion and doing con continuing to do music. And do you have any musical influences that really inspire you and that really influenced your style? You know, I would have to say Leslie Odom Jr. is one of my new favorite vocalists. He's kind of like a jazz contemporary musician. He is an artist and he also is on, is in Hamilton the Musical. So if you've seen him on Broadway, uh, he's one of the cast members. And I just love his stylistic choices, his composition, his music. I really am just a fan of him as an artist. Um, I really love black musicians, especially, honestly, I love Beyonce as an artist overall. She's just one of my favorite artists and entertainers. She really inspires me to be fierce and go hard and, you know, really deliver, excuse me, deliver a certain level of excellence in your artistry. So I would say Beyonce, I think Mariah Carey is an incredible songwriter and musical orchestrator, the way she can put together melodies and background vocals and ad-libs and blend them all so harmoniously. It's very noteworthy and that to be admired. So yeah, I just love funky R&B, feel good, soulful, hot, top tier music. So it's like whoever does that, that's who has my attention at the moment. For sure. And I really admire all those artists that you listed in their own right. They're all very, very well, they're very great in their craft. And that's definitely something to aspire to for sure. And can you lay out what your process is for writing a song from beginning to end? Yes. So my process for songwriting is a little inconsistent, <laughs> just because it really depends on the mood I'm in. Sometimes I feel like I can be a vessel which receives information that I have to transmute through my passion or my talents. So I may be out walking and look at the leaves and be like, wow, those leaves are brown. Da, 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 da. You know, and then like a melody will kind of just come to me for my inspiration and I'll thread it out to, you know, really pull out of it what I think is the best of what it can be. Or sometimes I may come into a songwriting session a little more intentionally and I may be like, okay, so I had this experience where Lamai and I sat down and it was the most riveting conversation of my life, you know, and I want to talk about how, you know, intriguing it was and how excited I was to, you know, get these points across and how yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. And I come at it a little more strategic and with more of a documented approach so it can it can really it can really shift back and forth between being more what's the word instantaneous and spont spontaneous or it can be more planned and strategic but it really just depends on my mind on my mind the vibe i'm in the mood you know it just depends <laughs>
Yeah, I feel like that's such a complex thing, um, being a writer in one respect and then also being a, a musical writer. Because it, it, like you said, you could have a melody that just kind of hits you and you're just like, where is my phone? Where is something I can record this on? And just like go from there or like you said, write it down wherever it hits. Um, so what was the process like for you specifically when you wrote on um, your latest song that's out, Nights Like This? So for Nights Like This, when I wrote that song, that song specifically was written on a very late night, <laughs> hence Nights Like This, that's funny. But that song, <laughs> that song was written on a late night where I was sitting downstairs on my couch looking through beats and I found this one beat in particular which really captivated me and caught my attention. And I just had some things to say. So it's just sometimes like a beat may come and it may inspire me and I may have some thoughts that linger within me already that I think resonate and you know can reside alongside this beat. So in instances like that where I find a beat that's hot that I love, it's like, okay, you know, let's go. And that song kind of just flowed out of me, uh, flowed out of me so naturally and so effortlessly. I think I wrote that song in about two hours heard the beat, heard some lyrics, started jotting down everything I wanted to say. And then I kind of just, you know, orchestrated it in a uh, seamless, continuous way that made sense, obviously, in terms of telling a story. So I try to just get my thoughts out and then orchestrate them in a way that is pleasing and makes sense for someone who's listening, you know, to digest mm -hmm. it. Because obviously a song is like a message. It's like a story. It's like a play, you know. So I want to make sure that it's digestible and able to be received as it unwinds itself to the listener. So that's kind of the process for nights like this and all my songs, honestly, you know, I try to express everything I have to say and then put it together to make sense. Right. And I just going back from um, listening to that song initially when you put it out, and I know you said that the story was like, driving late at night and kind of having like this vibe going and that is exactly how you feel like you <laughs> you just want to ride in your car and I remember listening to listening to it in my car driving back um from work and just like this is a vibe for sure Aww. so that's <laughs> totally translated in the music definitely thank you so much of course but what is the exercise for you specifically um when recording a song in the studio versus a live performance, which you had um, last night. And how do you go about modifying your approach for both mediums? Well, after the song is written, the next step is making a demo or rough draft. So thankfully I have like GarageBand on my computer. So I'll load up the track with the beat and then I'll sing the first vocal line, which would be the verse. And then I'll sing the pre-chorus and then I'll sing the chorus. Then the second verse, pre-chorus, chorus, and I've gotten all the main vocal lines of the song completed. Then once that's done, I go in, then when, <laughs> then once that is done, I go in and I lay down like ad-libs or harmonies or background vocals to try to spruce up each part and add some flavor to it to, you know, add dynamics. Mm -hmm. And after I've kind of put all the pieces together and really completed the puzzle, then I take it into the studio and I'm already I'm already 10 steps ahead of the game because I'm with the producer like, hey, I know my vocal lines. I know the harmonies I'm about to do. I know the background vocals. I know the inflections. Like I've already practiced on the demo. 
So when I go into the studio, I'm not wasting any time. So it's a very, mm. it's a very streamlined, intentional process because I've practiced and now I'm here to execute what I've been working on. Because the studio for me is not playtime. One, studio time is expensive, especially if you want to have real commercial, good standing quality, quality that can expand beyond headphones, quality that can sustain within speakers if you're going to perform somewhere nice, you know? You don't want to record something on your AirPods and then try to perform it on a, you know, $10,000 speaker at a venue because the quality won't be consistent or it won't complement your work. So for me, I make sure that I am thoroughly prepared when I go into the studio because for me, that is such an imperative and important time to really finish my vision and perfect it. So there's a lot of work that goes into it beforehand to make sure that everything is, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. How long does it take you? Because background vocals, one of my favorite things when listening to songs is background vocals. I mean, we know that Brandy is known for her melodic background yes. vocals and Mariah Carey, and they, they're just on another level with it. So I can imagine that doing those background vocals takes like a lot of time to organize them, or maybe it doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not an artist, it, so I please think it let, just depends on like how, how spontaneous it is because it really depends on my mood i could hear a track and i could listen the track could be three minutes and 25 seconds i could hit play and i could instinctively sing all the ad-libs and background vocals one time through and be done or i could play it 10 times or 15 times and try to get the perfect one so it really depends each scenario is different and there's really not like a surefire guaranteed answer of you know, background vocals take me 15 minutes, you know, because sometimes it could be five minutes and I'd be like, wow, that was perfect. I got everything I wanted to get done, done. Or I may struggle a little bit or I may not have the answer right away. So it really just depends on the scenario. But typically for vocal production, which is kind of the meatier part of a song where like you, you know, mess with the, the panning or the harmonies or that's really where the essence and the and the real like doctorate nerdy parts of the of the uh, of the song production comes together, that can take anywhere from two hours really in itself. So once you've recorded all the vocals, then it's like, okay, well, how loud do I want this vocal to be? Now, do we want this vocal to fade in? Do we want the vocal to fade out? Do we want three vocals here? Do we want them to pan? Do we want the three vocals to pan? You know, so there's so many intricate parts to a song that take a lot of time mastering each nuance to make it a dynamic piece of art so yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> and that sounds very complex from someone who is not a musical artist but how do you translate that onto your performances on stage how do you translate that whole aesthetic that you come up with in the studio you know the sound rather that's a topic that i'm still tackling honestly because I am a fairly new artist. I have two songs out right now. I've performed maybe like seven to 10 times, which have all been open mics. Well, not, excuse me, that's not true. I've done a couple open mics and I've done two or three shows where I was one of the main artists on the bill. So I've had a couple experiences where I kind of come into a setting where other people are there as well and it's kind of a free for all. And then I've also had experiences on the other hand where I am a 
prestigious artists in the setting and it's kind of formulated for me to succeed, you know? So I feel like those two arenas can give you different experiences. And with both of them, I'm still trying to formulate, you know, the best experience possible for myself and for the crowd as well, because I want them to receive my music in a way that feels true, authentic, transparent, and real. You know, I don't want anything to come between what I had in my mind when I wrote the song and how I was feeling and how people receive it when I'm performing it to them. And for me, I've kind of stumbled into some roadblocks just trying to translate that my own self because at the end of the day, I'm a human being. (laughs) (laughs) You can be an honest quote. Classic. (laughs) I'm a a human (laughs) being. So it's like, you know, I, I have my own, you know, um, self-doubt and being on stage can kind of cause some anxiety sometimes, you know, and honestly, like I'm trying to grow into that aspect of myself, which doesn't allow himself to be hindered by people perceiving him because a lot of people would think that, Oh, you know, like you've been fairly successful in what you've done. It seems like you kind of are in the entertainment industry. Mental health is real. And despite me having a passion for things that happen to be within the entertainment industry. I'm also an entity that is formulated of nuances and configurations that are not tethered to what the entertainment industry consists of or accepts. So it's like, I have to figure out how to uh, remain true and authentic to myself while still ascending to this figurehead that has to play the game, you know? So that was a really, articulate wordy answer but I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to bridge the gap between being a great artist in the studio and a great artist on the stage because there's just a lot of factors and I get stage fright honestly like I get stage fright and it's scary and I'm like oh my gosh all these people are looking at me so it's like sometimes I get out of my head and I had a performance last night where I was able to really push myself past the limit and kind of like perform a little better, you know, and get way more comfortable with just being on stage and not caring about what other people think, because I think it could be an anxiety thing or whatever. But what I'm starting to realize or what I have to realize is that those people are really there to see me give my best. So it's like, if I'm not giving my best, I'm underserving myself as well as the people in front of me. So it's like, I really have to tear down and deconstruct the idea of having to be perfect because I think when I come into these spaces and it's like, okay, now I have to perform. Like now I have these songs and now these people have to watch me perform. I kind of like build up the angst and it's like, hey, like that's actually the complete opposite way of how I need to perceive this situation. I actually need to be perceiving it in a way Hello. I hope the audio didn't cut out because it froze for a second. Oh no, we're good. Okay. So yeah, I have to, I have to really deconstruct that idea of being perceived in like a way of like, okay, all these people are about to watch me and be like, no, all these people are here to see me do that thing I do really well when no one's around. So it's kind of like a balancing act that I'm having to get more comfortable with for myself personally, but Hope I didn't just like talk in circles and like ruin your question, but you know, I'm trying my best to like. No, that was give great information. 
No, that makes so much sense. I remember recently watching a Mariah Carey documentary, and I know at the beginning of her career, she was very much comfortable in the studio. And it's not because she couldn't perform, because obviously she has the vocals, but she yeah. just felt more comfortable in the studio. And when she wanted to go out to perform, she wanted to make sure it was the best performance ever. And she was like fully there and fully able to able to give of herself. So that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it's a thing that a lot of artists have to um, battle between finding that comfort on stage and translating those those things that they want to translate within the music to the people and do it in an authentic way. So that's something that's pretty fair. And I mean, I can totally understand how that would be kind of like this balancing act for you right now, but I'm sure you'll figure it out because it's just one of those things that um, eventually out over time, you'll, you'll nail down for sure. Exactly. I think it's just me getting in my head too much, you know, I think anybody can kind of like overhype something or like put too much stake in it and anticipation. And sometimes that like fixation on anticipation can ruin the potentiality of whatever is going to happen. So I'm really having to learn to unhinge and let go of the fixation on making sure that things are perfect because they will probably go worse than expected if you try to, you know, make them perfect, 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 perfect. Absolutely. Even doing this podcast, I'm learning. It's just like embrace the imperfections. You know, that's all you could do is prepare and do your best. But, you know, no, nothing's perfect. But I kind of want to segue into um, um, management a little bit because currently you are an independent artist and you manage yourself. So how do you manage your own career and being shrewd as to what deals to make and... Um, the overall develop your overall development you kind of touched upon this a little bit um previously hmm. good question <laughs> i would have to say that you know i feel like i've been blessed truly to know what i wanted for myself at a young age even if i didn't know the extent of what i wanted i always knew where i wanted to be the types of things i wanted to do and i feel like Knowing that about myself allowed me to alleviate any misdirection from anybody else. So the fact that I've known what I wanted allows me to know a little bit better of what I don't want. And I think keeping that in mind and keeping true to who I am and keeping those values at the front of my mind has really helped in me navigating where I want to go, what decisions I choose to make, especially in regards to my career. and the types of people that I associate myself with, the types of deals I enter into, the types of brands that I try to align myself with or decide may not be a good fit for me, everything ties back to me understanding myself and having a solid understanding of who I want to be and where I want to go and what I will and what I will not do. And are you 100% self-managed currently? I, in terms of my music career, yes, I am signed as a model to a local talent agency. So they represent me and kind of delegate deals for me on my behalf if that, uh, whenever those deals do arise. But in terms of my music career and my artistry, I am solely the sole proprietor of this entity and I am the uh, negotiator because baby, I got work to do. I got a job, baby. Okay. And I got to get where I need to go and no one's going to get me there like I will. So. You know, I kind of have to steer the ship. 
And when you're negotiating those deals behind the scenes, have you noticed any... Well, I'm sure because it's the music business, but have you noticed any um, hardships as far as getting what you feel you deserve? And <laughs> I'm assuming you have. <laughs> I have. Uh, you know, it's funny because as I've gotten into the entertainment industry, whether it's with music, modeling, fashion, I've noticed that these industries that are very, what's the word? The, these industries that are very self-fulfilling breed a lot of people that are very ego-driven and obsessed. So within these industries, you'll meet people who are kind of like place markers. There are people who can be very mean-spirited and, and, and self-absorbed and selfish. And those type of people, those type of experiences, especially really ruin the the sanctity of what this art form and this space is supposed to be about you know i believe that creativity and anything that is created from your mind or your spirit especially it should be honored and respected and valued you know and and handled with a certain level of care and not diluted or anything like that so i have dealt with people in the industry who have you know who have shady agendas or I don't even know. I honestly don't even fixate on that type of stuff because when I notice the BS, I just avert away from it and, you know, stay away. But yeah, you know, people are crazy and you just got to watch out for them because people will smile in your face and stab you right behind your back, you know, and not give a darn hoot and tootin' about it, you know? So you really have to be mindful, especially in industries that are, that are a little more fast paced to be mindful of the company you keep because some people just want to get ahead by any ex by any expense and you could be the expense you know and people will do whatever they need to get ahead unfortunately so you know i definitely have come across those situations whether it was by firsthand proximity or by you know word on the street you know i've kind of heard the good and the bad so you know got to keep your eyes peeled right and i think that's the best advice if you doesn't feel right walk away i mean as hard and as hard as it may seem sometimes that's hey it will save you a lot of heartache in the end but are you currently wanting to sign with a major label or do you want to continue to work as an independent artist and seeing like artists like um chance the rapper who it's really benefited him um and some other artists as well and why like you know, I think there are definitely pros and cons to having management or a label or distribution, anybody who's going to, you know, give you that stamp of approval and put funding behind you, advertising, anything like that. You know, I, truthfully, I would love to be signed to Parkwood <laughs> specifically. So Beyonce Parkwood, if you're listening, just know that that is the place where I believe my dreams would be most respected, honored, valued, watered, nurtured, um, and groomed, you know? <clears throat> so there definitely and are pros and cons. Mm, Parkwood specifically because Beyonce in herself, who is such an incredible artist, I've seen how she's been able to take the reins on her own career and really 
steer and chariot herself towards the victory that she has accomplished for herself. And to me, as an outsider, I see that it's all been self-driven. She's all done it herself. So, and she, it, all her, all her achievements seem very well calculated and well, you know, like she's a good decision maker. And the values that I see Beyonce specifically express and represent are values that I believe in and I believe are true and and values that I upkeep within myself or I try to, you know, honor. So I see her as someone who's noble, who is, who's hardworking, who's diligent, who is honorable, you know, whether it's anything she does, I just feel like she's a very like well-rounded person basically. And I've been able to see what she's done with Chloe and Hallie just so far, you know, and I feel like Beyonce really gives space for creatives to honor who they are and she allows them to be nurtured in whatever endeavor she's doing. So the reason why Parkwood specifically would be such an amazing opportunity for me to grow and a home for me to establish myself as an artist is because they are an incredible team and kind of the leader of the team is one of the best artists out there who has reconfigured the game and been able to work the game to her advantage and kind of not even need the game anymore. So that's why I would want to be a part of Parkwood is because I would have that firsthand knowledge, you know, kind of uh, replenished into me, you know, and administered to me directly from Parkwood. <laughs> and, and so currently now, how um, did you figure out how to package yourself and your artistry for distribution? Well, this has been my dream for my whole life. I've always wanted to be an artist and entertainer on the stage, performing with music, with my personality, all that stuff, and all of those combined into one. So, I'm sorry, so you said, how have I been able to package myself? So, I mean, this has been my dream for the longest time. So I've been studying everyone who's come before me who has done this. So whether it was any artist, I watched their music videos, their style, their interviews, their songwriting processes, their vocal techniques. I really studied almost every aspect possible to take the good and, and stay away from the bad and pull them inwards to see how I can build myself up in a way that is pleasing to me to ensure that I can reach those, you know, spaces that other people have have reached. You know, it's basically just studying the game. And I, I'm I've been studying the game. I'm a Capricorn. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay attention to the notes. I'm gonna study the work. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be hardworking about it and make sure that I, you know, dot every I and cross every T. Okay, I'm not playing no games. I'm not playing any games. <laughs> and what have you currently or in the past have done to? Um make sure that you're packaged in a specific way? Well, I try to do a little bit of everything that I love. So I love style. I love music. I love fashion naturally. Outside of me being a model, I just really love clothes. So whether I'm modeling and I get to do something fun where it's like streetwear style, because that's something that naturally aligns with who I am. So I kind of just do things that naturally align with my personality and they just so happen to configure back into my brand. So my brain is really authentic to who I am. I think that's the the core niche of this whole thing is like my brain isn't this like super well thought out, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's more so just me trying to stay true to who I am and do things that 
I see for myself. You know, obviously you have people like Rihanna, who's a style influencer and a business mogul, and she's able to take her passions and turn them into business endeavors. So that's something that is especially inspiring for me, especially as a half American, half Barbadian artist, to see Rihanna come from a country that I've put my feet on the ground on and have been there since I was a child, to see where she's come from and to see how she has ascended to being such a immaculate figurehead in the culture, you know, it, it really inspires me to want to take some place from her book and see how I can, you know, put my own spin and flip on it. Absolutely. And being that you are still currently independent, um, where did you learn about music distribution? I learned from music, I learned about music distribution through YouTube. So there would be YouTubers who were into digital marketing, or maybe they were A&Rs or whatever the case is, and they would just give tips and notes on how different artists can study the game and how they can, um, you know, distribute their music or learn about Spotify algorithms or different ways to accrue fans or different ways to promote yourself. So as I'm creating music, I'm also watching YouTube videos on how to promote my music. I'm also watching on, you know, different ways of networking and entering the industry. So YouTube, you know, social media, online websites, whatever type of information I can find that will help me out. I'm there. And what is the value and visibility among the different platforms? And what would you say is the most important platform to be on right now in your experience? Hmm. The, I mean, I think different platforms are starting to decrease and increase in value. So Facebook, six years ago, maybe might have been the most lucrative platform to become successful on for video streaming, let's say. But nowadays, you know, maybe TikTok or Instagram or Twitter could be the most lucrative. So I think that different visibility on those platforms is changing and as the landscape is changing, you kind of have to move with the times. So right now, TikTok is obviously kind of like the leading, uh, the leading social media platform. And it's kind of like the most, um, it's the most popular one right now. So it's like, you know, you kind of got to get on there if you want all those eyes on you because that's the hot ticket right now is TikTok really. So, you know. Hmm. And have you yourself I mean, noticed like, um um, what has your experience been like personally with TikTok? Because I know like on TikTok, obviously the thing right now is for artists to get exposed on there and to um, get that traction is huge. And it can definitely um, translate in numbers for them and also exposure. You know, I honestly have not used TikTok. I feel like an old man because like, I'm like, what the heck? Like TikTok is, I won't say it's not for me. I just haven't really devoted the time to really study a, a new platform. I don't know why, you know, honestly, I guess I, I guess I am a little behind, but I feel like right now my primary focus isn't TikTok just because I'm really focused on making good quality music. And I feel like t TikTok is a very teen, fast paced, you know, get them, get them, get them, get them. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, like type of medium and a lot of the music that is successful on that platform specifically is curated to fit that mold. So I think the reason why I haven't been as interested to get into the TikTok bag is because I'm not making TikTok music. So I'm not trying to like 
hurry up and study the game and, you know, get into it because I'm not even trying to play that game. But yeah, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really rushing to get into the TikTok game because like I said, I make, I make real quality music and not to say that TikTok doesn't offer that, but I just think that it's a different, it's a different atmosphere right now. So right now, you know, TikTok isn't really my, you know, my main interest, but one day I will get on there and I'm sure I'm going to, you know, have some fun with all the kids and learn the dances and, you know, hit the moves and all that stuff. (laughs) So what would you say is one misconception about music distribution today? Hmm. Hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, I, well, actually I will say prior to me releasing my own music, I thought that getting your music on distribution platforms would be very difficult, honestly. And now, now, now that I've kind of had some time to do my own research and go online and figure out how I can bring my music to the people, it's not so hard. You know, you can go online and there are different music distribution websites that you can actually upload your music to and they will stream your music on Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, you know, whatever platforms you need them to be on, there are much easier ways of people gaining access to your music nowadays, thanks to the internet and, you know, different streaming services. As opposed to when I was coming up, the only way I really heard music was either on the radio or on a CD or in a movie, you know, so it's a blessing. It's a beautiful thing to be able to have such a direct contact to fans and artists, you know, bridging that gap with giving them our music. Right. And how long does it the process typically take to apply for distribution of music? You know, I don't remember because it's been two years since I've dropped a song. So I want to say like you, you have to make an account and then you submit your music and you have to check whether or not it's explicit and it gets reviewed and maybe a week, you know, maybe a week, a week or so is typically how long it takes. I think it's nine days actually was my time period but it's not too long you know so if you plan accordingly you know you can make it work and specifically for spotify like to get that like check mark as an artist and to get verified on there is that like what the process is is that what you're basing the process off of or is it just in general i'm sorry can you repeat your question yeah so like specifically for instance um artist on spotify to get verified um is that typically what the process is like or is that just in general well, to get verified, yes, you would have to, you go through the, I think it's through the distribution also. It's kind of like more back-end management of music distribution. So you can claim a profile and say, hey, I am this artist. Excuse me. Actually, so thank you for jogging my memory because I can kind of clean this up and clarify. So basically what happens is you go to a distribution website and you say, hey, you know, I've got the song, yada, yada, yada. I'd like to upload it and put it on these platforms. Once the song is out there, you can go to the streaming platform's website and claim that song as your own. So I'll send a song to Apple Music and then I'll go to Apple Music for Artists, which is a website for Apple Music for Artists. And you can go on there and claim your profile and be like, hey, I'm this artist. Here's my profile picture. You know, here's my name. And then I can verify myself and authenticate, authenticate my identity that way. Yeah. So how do you balance the management of multiple platforms and creating the specific content to get exposure for your music? You know, I think it has to be something that's a little more strategic because before I would just like go on Instagram and be like, 
hey guys, here's my song, check it out. Then go on Facebook, hey guys, here's my song, check it out. Then on Twitter, hey guys, here's my song, check it out. You know, and especially when you have genuine supporters, people who believe in you and people who follow you across mediums, you don't want to give the same regurgitated message across four different social media platforms that somebody's probably gonna see four different times. So I try to be strategic in the seeds I plant on different platforms so that it's more so of an overall um, consumption of what the message is, you know, across platforms as opposed to it being the same, you know, redundant regurgitated message on four different platforms, you know, I feel like it's less personal and less effective because I don't wanna see, you know, something that doesn't feel authentic or something that doesn't feel streamlined. You know, you kinda, if you have your own internal momentum, people will recognize that and see it. So it's like, as long as you are mindful of the momentum and where you're going, I think the social media uh, strategy needs to be less strategic and more authentic and that's what people will resonate with and buy into. And my last question for you today is what new projects are you excited to be currently working on? Well, right now I'm working on a clothing line. I'm working on an EP and I'm working on becoming the biggest artist in the world. So, you know, there's a lot on my plate, but I am excited to eat it all. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yes, speak it into existence. Oh, man. I think we're a little laggy. You said, I appreciate your congratulations. Oh, and my birthday is coming up. My birthday is in a month, and I'll be turning 23, which is, which is, which is my Jordan year. So, so I'm excited for next year for all of my manifestations to come into fruition because this is going to be a good year for me. And Jordan, it was such a pleasure having you on this platform. Where can people... So yes, people can find me on social media at Jordan Dawkins, J-O-R-D-A-N-D-A-W-K-I-N-S. And that's all my social media. That's my Apple Music. That's my music. Anywhere you want to find me, come connect with me. Let's chat, you know, and let's pick each other's brains. So yeah, cool. Let's do it. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with Jordan Dawkins, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Get In Lucky. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Workout Session. Please share and tell us what you think of this week's episode. Until next time, continue to have the best week ever. <laughs>